Chapter 24, let's go! Hello, and welcome back to another chapter with Womance's public access read-along of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I'm your even chapter reader, Isabeau. I read the odd chapters. My name is Morgan. Morgan, what happened in chapter 23? Well, everyone has to deal with the fallout of uh, Mr. Collins' Uh, getting married to Charlotte or proposing to Charlotte Lucas um, and the fallout of Mr. Bingley not returning to Northampton. Netherfield. Netherfield. (laughs) What's Northampton? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) A different place. (laughs) Yeah, somewhere. Somewhere (laughs) that has crossed my path. Some fold in my brain. Uh, everyone's just kind of feeling bad, and that was pretty much it. There was some funny stuff, funny dialogue. There's a little... It was a tee-hee chapter. That's, that's a good way of describing it. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Chapter 24. Miss Bingley's letter arrived and put an end to doubt. The very first sentence conveyed the assurance of their being all settled in London for the winter and concluded with her brother's regret and not having had time to pay his respects to his friends in Hertfordshire before he left the country. Hope was over, entirely over, and when Jane could attend to the rest of the letter, she found little except the professed affection of the writer that could give her any comfort. Miss Darcy's praise occupied the chief of it. Her many attractions were again dwelt on, and Carolyn boasted joyfully of their increasing intimacy and ventured to predict the accomplishment of the wishes which had been unfolded in her former letter. She wrote also with great pleasure of her brother's being an intimate of Mr. Darcy's house and mentioned with raptures some plans of the latter with regard to new furniture. Elizabeth, to whom Jane very soon communicated the chief of all this, heard it in silent indignation. Her heart was divided between concern for her sister and resentment against all others. To Caroline's assertion of her brother's being partial to Miss Darcy, she paid no credit. That he was really fond of Jane, she doubted no more than she had ever done, and much as she had always been disposed to like him, she could not think without anger, hardly without contempt, on that easiness of temper, that want of proper resolution, which now made him the slave of his designing friends, and led him to sacrifice his own happiness to the caprice of their inclinations. Had his own happiness, however, been the only sacrifice, he might have been allowed to sport with it in whatever manner he thought best. But her sister's was involved in it, and she thought he must be sensible himself. It was a subject, in short, on which reflection would be long indulged and must be unavailing. She could think of nothing else. And yet, whether Bingley's regard had really died away or were suppressed by his friend's interference, whether he had been aware of Jane's attachment or whether it had escaped his observation, whichever were the case, though her opinion of him must be materially affected by the difference, her sister's situation remained the same and her peace equally wounded. I relate to Lizzie in this way because she's greatly overthinking what's going on. And like Ockram's razor states that Bingley is a dumb, dumb idiot who's just like floating along on the waves of his existence and is has his own agency, but is in no way ex- interested in exerting it because that's 
Why would you? Do you think it would be, do you think that reality that he's just a silly, silly boy is more hurtful? Like he's just too silly to take the reins and seek out Jane? Or is it more like, I guess it's, I guess it's more tolerable, the idea that, like, his friends are yanking him from her sister than the fact that he just personally can't be bothered. I love that it's her whole thing, because I think she's correct to be angry and contemptuous that he has this want of proper resolution, which I think is what you're talking about there, that he's a silly dum-dum. Like, he doesn't have (laughs) the power of his own, like... I like this girl, like, fuck off. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm a bum, 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 maybe I don't, maybe you're white. And I think it's right that Lizzie's contemptuous of it. And I also love that this is like, either he's contemptuous or he didn't know that she liked him or like, whatever it is, the outcome's the same. But like, she keeps like thinking through the various mm. avenues of it. Like, that feels incredibly real. Yeah. And I would also say like, it's so much in his character to not recognize the stakes of a situation and not take action, e.g. buying an estate, e.g. seeking out the hand of the woman he loves. He's easily led, is how that would be. Willingly, some might say. Yeah, I don't think he likes making... He has decision fatigue without having made any decisions at all. (laughs) It seems fatiguing. (laughs) It's fatiguing. A day or two passed before Jane had courage to speak her feelings to Elizabeth, but at last on Mrs. Bennet's leaving them together after a longer irritation than usual about Netherfield and its master, she could not help saying, Oh, that my dear mother had more command over herself. She can have no idea of the pain she gives me by her continual reflections on him, but I will not repine. It cannot last long. He will be forgot, and we shall be as we were before. Elizabeth looked at her sister with incredulous solicitude, but said nothing. You doubt me, cried Jane, slightly coloring. Indeed, you have no reason. He may live in my memory as the most amiable man of my acquaintance, but that is all. I have nothing either to hope or fear, nothing to reproach him with. Thank God, I have not that pain. A little time, therefore, I shall certainly try to get the better. With a stronger voice, she soon added, I have this comfort immediately that it has not been more than an error of fancy on my side, and that it has done no harm to anyone but myself. My dear Jane, exclaimed Elizabeth, you are too good. Your sweetness and disinterestedness are really angelic, and I do not know what to say to you. I feel as if I had never done you justice or loved you as you deserve. Stop feeding her. Eagerly disclaiming. (laughs) I knew you'd hate that. Miss Bennet eagerly disclaimed all extraordinary merit and threw back the praise on her sister's warm affection. Nay, said Elizabeth, this is not fair. You wish to think all the world respectable and are hurt if I speak ill of anybody. I only want to think you perfect and you set yourself against it. Do not be afraid of my running into any excess of my own encroaching on your privilege of universal good. You need not. There are few people whom I really love, and still fewer of whom I think well. The more I see of the world, the more I am dissatisfied with it, and every day confirms my belief of the inconstancy of all human characters (laughs) and and of the little dependence that can be placed on the appearance of either merit or sense. I've met with two instances lately, one I will not mention, and the other is Charlotte's marriage. It is unaccountable. In every view, it is unaccountable. My dear Lizzie. 
Do not give way to such feelings as these. They will ruin your happiness. You do not make the allowance enough for difference of situation and temper. Consider Mr. Collins' respectability and Charlotte's prudent, steady character. Remember that she is one of a large family. That as to fortune, it is a most eligible match. And be ready to believe for everybody's sake that she may feel something like regard and esteem for our cousin. To oblige you, I would try to believe almost anything but no one else could be benefited by such a belief as this for where i persuaded that charlotte had any regard for him i should only think worse of her understanding than i now do for her heart my dear jane mr collins is a conceited pompous narrow-minded silly man you know he is as well as i do and you must feel as well as i do that the woman who marries him cannot have a proper way of thinking you shall not defend her though it is charlotte lucas you shall not for the sake of one individual change the meaning of principle and integrity nor endeavor to persuade yourself or me that selfishness is prudence and insensibility of danger security for happiness I must think your language too strong in speaking of both, replied Jane, and I hope you will be convinced of it by seeing them happy together. But enough of this. You alluded to something else. You mentioned two instances. I cannot misunderstand you, but I entreat you, dear Lizzie, not to pain me by thinking that person to blame and saying your opinion of him is sunk. We must not be so ready to fancy ourselves intentionally injured. You must not expect a lively young man to be always so guarded and circumspect. It is very often nothing but our own vanity that deceives us. Women fancy admiration means more than it does. And men take care that they should. God, still true. If it is designedly done, they cannot be justified. But I have no idea of there being so much design in the world as some persons imagine. I am far from attributing any part of Mr. Bingley's conduct to design, said Elizabeth. But without scheming to do wrong or to make others unhappy, there may be error and there may be misery. Thoughtlessness, want of attention to other people's feelings, and want of resolution will do the business. And do you impute it to either of those? Yes, to the last. But if I go on, I shall displease you by saying that I think of persons you esteem. Stop me whilst you can. You persist then in supposing his sisters influence him? Yes, in conjunction with his friend. I cannot believe it. Why should they try to influence him? They can only wish his happiness. And if he is attached to me, no other can ensure it. Your first position is false. They may wish many things besides his happiness. They may wish his increase of wealth and consequence. They may wish him to marry a girl who has all the importance of money, great connections, and pride. Beyond a doubt, they do wish him to choose Miss Darcy, replied Jane. But this may be from better feelings than you are supposing. They have known her much longer than they have known me. No wonder if they love her better. But whatever may be their own wishes, it is very unlikely they should have opposed their brothers. What sister would think herself at liberty to do it, unless there were something very objectionable? If they believe him attached to me, they would not try to part us. If he were so, they could not succeed. By supposing such an affection, you make everybody acting unnaturally and wrong, and me most unhappy. Do not distress me by the idea. I am not ashamed of having been mistaken, or at least it is not slight. It is nothing in comparison of what I should feel in thinking ill of him or his sisters. Let me take it in the best light, in the light in which it may be understood. Elizabeth could not oppose such a wish. And from this time, Mr. Bingley's name was scarcely mentioned between them. 
Mrs. Bennet still continued to wonder and repine at his returning no more, and though a day seldom passed in which Elizabeth did not account for it clearly, there seemed little chance of her ever considering it with less perplexity. Her daughter endeavored to convince her of what she did not believe herself, that his attentions to Jane had merely been the effect of a common transient liking, which ceased when he saw her no more, but though the probability of the statement was admitted at the time, she had the same story to repeat every day. Mrs. Bennet's best comfort was that Mr. Bingley must be down again in the summer. Mr. Bennet treated the matter differently. So, Lizzie, said he one day, your sister is crossed in love, I find. I congratulate her. Next to being married, a girl likes to be crossed in love a little now and then. It is something to think of and gives her a sort of distinction among her companions. When is your turn to come? You'll hardly bear to be long outdone by Jane. Now is your time. Here are offers enough in Meryton to disappoint all the young ladies in the country. Let Wickham be your man. He is a pleasant fellow and would jolt you credibly. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong. In fact, this feels like a little bit of foreshadowing on Mr. Bennett's part. This feels like good advice. Go out and get your heart <laughs> broken. It's true. It's good for you. It'll teach you some stuff. And it'll give you distinction among your companions. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit like he's being yet again purposely, intentionally obtuse about what the deal is for Jane and Mrs. Bennett because it's a much bigger deal. But I think he's giving Lizzie good advice. Oh, Lizzie and Mr. Bennett, best pals. Thank you, sir, but a less agreeable gen- a less agreeable man would satisfy me. We must not all expect Jane's good fortune. True, said Mr. Bennet, but it is a comfort to think that whatever of that kind may befall you, you have an affectionate mother who will always make the most of it. Mr. Wickham's society was of material service in dispelling the gloom which the late perverse occurrences had thrown on many of the Longbourn family. They saw him often, and to his other recommendations was now added that of the general of general unreserve. The whole of what Elizabeth had already heard, his claims on Mr. Darcy, and all that he had suffered from him was now openly acknowledged and publicly canvassed, and everybody was pleased to think how much they had always disliked Mr. Darcy before they had known anything of the matter. Miss Bennet was the only creature who could suppose there might be any extenuating circumstances in the case unknown to the Society of Hertfordshire. Her mild and steady candor always pleaded for allowances and urged the possibility of mistakes. But by everybody else, Mr. Darcy was condemned as the worst of men. Wow. Well, okay. I have a theory. Jane Austen is writing Pride and Prejudice, right? She's reading the chapters every night to her family, and someone in her family is playing devil's advocate and being like well maybe this is going on like as she's writing the story and so maybe this there's just something about this dialogue between jane and lizzie that feels like direct address and the fact that lizzie is couching everything with like you're so angelic like i i you're the only person i would ever agree with right like that just feels like hedging but why would lizzie hedge with her sister (laughs) it's not really how those relationships go and the other thing i will say is a friend to all is a friend to none stop fence sitting jane Ooh, everything's blue i think there's something in jane saying it's easier it's easier for me to think that i was deluded 
rather than to think that Bingley's an asshole mm-hmm. and that Caroline's a liar. Right? I think that Jane so nakedly saying it's like easier for me to think that I was stupid than it is for me to think otherwise is both very interesting as a protection mechanism of like she does genuinely want to exist in the world thinking the best of people like that's just how she wants to function and then she does really do a good job of communicating that to Lizzie and she's like Lizzie fucking stop man I just that's not what I want to hear I know you don't agree like you're not you're not making this easier for me. And like I love that Lizzie's also like, are you fucking kidding me, Jane? <laughs> like, you, like, you're not dumb. Her whole thing about Charlotte Lucas though, like, ugh. Cause like you're not thinking about this the way that maybe you could. Which I mean, Lizzie is thinking of it as it is. Like Charlotte Lucas is choosing to marry him for practical reasons and not because she has a lot of affection for him. Absolutely. She finds him tolerable, right? And like the fact that Jane is trying to create this other narrative, it feels disingenuous. Like what does Jane stand to gain from lying about the obvious? (laughs) No, I, I totally agree. But when Lizzie's like, it makes her less sensible. And Jane's like, that's a bridge too far. Like, it is prudent. There are more people in her family. Like, the fact that you are... I Jane goes too far in saying, like, maybe they do like each other. Like, that's ridiculous. But Lizzie was being too harsh on Charlotte. And I think, like, therein lies this really interesting move with both of them, where it's like, they're, in this instance, neither are fully correct and neither are fully wrong. Yeah. And the, the text is like... Jane's ridiculous in this scene. Like, when, <laughs> when Lizzie's like, you're angelic, I'm like, also, like, you could read that a thousand ways where it's like, you're an angel, you're so good. It's like, I also love the line, uh, there are few people I love and even less I esteem, which is like total dig at Kitty and Lydia. Yeah, bitch is back. <laughs> yeah, I think, yes, Jane is being ridiculous. I know that I'm obviously banging the Jane is ridiculous drum all the time. I also think like there's this like unforeseen risk of constantly putting yourself in the position of like utter responsibility for your worldview. That leads you to doubt yourself and like understanding yourself and being able to trust yourself and your instincts and not try to intellectualize them away is one of the more important ways that you can like not only protect yourself, but like further yourself and better yourself, right? Jane's coping mechanism, which I think this is, is not healthy. And Lizzie, I think this book is becoming, is cognizant of that because Lizzie points out like your interpretation that my friend Charlotte Lucas would ever actually have affection for a man like Mr. Collins is actually mean to Charlotte Lucas. Like, and I already do think less of her. I do kind of hate that, like, Lizzie can't share that side of herself and share a feeling like that with her sister um, without being chastised, you know? I think chastised is the right word, although I don't think Jane would use that word. I think Jane just sort of... Yeah, like her inherent goodness and like, as you say, this self-preservation mechanism of like, I'm going to default to think the best in people, whether or not that's like factually true, um, just kind of functions as a chastise to Lizzie, just like 
in general. So it's funny because like, I remember on my last reading of this text that Lizzie and Jane are very close and that they like talk to each other all the time. And that's one of the criticisms that was lobbed at the Joe Wright version of Pride and Prejudice that like Jane and Lizzie have these like secrets from each other and that they like aren't telling each other stuff. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh man, that's, that's here though. It's like Jane and Lizzie like stop talking about Bingley and like they at like mutual armistice about things. Because they do love each other. Yeah. And they don't want to like, they don't want to be acrimonious in the home because they have so many other animosities on their time. Yeah. And I, I understand like the resistance to understanding their relationship that way, because you Mm -hmm. don't want to think about like a relationship with a family member as being this coded and this coddled, especially in this book where like everything is coded and everything is dictated by all of these unspoken rules spoken and unspoken rules it's strange to think that a comedy of manners would exist between two sisters who live together and yet i think it does speak most clearly to the era and the existence and like how these things are going to come to pass that even in this even with her best friend, even with her sister, even in her own home, even at, at its most candid, right? Lizzie and Jane are at their most candid with one another. It's still not as open and truthful as it could be. And that's the quiet desperation of Pride and Prejudice. I mean, there's no less love, which I think is also fascinating. Like, I think this is one of the things that's really interesting to me about this chapter is like watching two women who love each other engage in conflict and then like retreat from it and like at the end of the chapter like jane's big-hearted view as we know is the one that's going to bear out about mr darcy but i also think like this chapter is very sneaky right like mr bennett's like um why don't you bring wickham around right like get yourself jilted and then in the very next Mm -hmm. paragraph like Mrs. Bennett's totally chill. She's like, oh, because she has a distraction, right? So then it feels like Lizzie's just been manipulated by Mr. Bennett to bring a handsome man around that will then occupy Mrs. Bennett's mind space. And so then the house will now be in smoother waters than it has been since Lizzie said no to Mr. Collins. And I have never clocked Mr. Bennett's manipulation of Lizzie before. Do you think the book clocks it? Or do you think they're like, what, what a whimsical, I don't know. Like, how could you not, though? Like, the very next chapter is like, and suddenly Mrs. Bennett doesn't suck so much. Well, maybe, like, I can see the text, the text's perspective as Mr. Bennett has good ideas and good opinions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, like, much as that sucks. But, I mean, the book also knows a little bit more than we, the reader. I think this might be like the most generous interpretation is like the text understands Mr. Bennett as a good manager of Mrs. Bennett. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) All right. Anything else? No, this chapter was also very sneaky. Sneaky chapters. Very sneaky chapter. We had a teehee chapter. Now we got a sneaky chapter. Mm -hmm. Who knows what chapter 25 may bring. With that. Uh. Loosen your prejudices. Maybe not your prides this time. Never your prides. (laughs) 
Sometimes. Your pride is what's protecting you. <laughs> or in Jane's case, not, right? Like, have some pride. Yeah, exactly, Jane. <laughs> Woli guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.
think I'm going to print out a little mask of him in, what did she say? Bridget Jones's dies. Yeah, like, original BJD HG. Tape it on my face. And then whenever we talk about Wickham, you can have that reference. And if you could do likewise with Notting Hill, Hugh Grant. Oh, that's a way more practical solution. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have to live. We have Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that then. And that way we'll have like the right amount of distraction so that we can really get into the mindset of the text. Yeah, I mean it's it's so it's so prescient as is that I think we just need that little nudge. <laughs> Uh, all right, anything else? But never your prides. All right, do you think we can do another one in 18 minutes? 